education and literature and a life coach she has a ba in education and and spanish and a master's in linguistics she obtained those degrees from smith college and simmons college welcome to the podcast paula thanks for joining us today um so whenever we have conversations with our guests we always like to start with the basics so can you tell us a little bit about like where you're born um how you ended up in the u.s and just like your experience growing up here? So I was born in the Dominican Republic. Um, I came to Brooklyn, New York when I was four. Um, Essentially, my mom felt that there were limited opportunities for her in the DR, and she kind of got tired of the same cycle. Get married, live with a husband, Mm -hmm. have a million kids. (laughs) Um, My dad was also very heavily into politics and very Mm -hmm. involved with the Communist Party. Which is not the best party to be involved in mm-hmm. in in the DR or anywhere, but in the DR during that time. Um, and she basically decided that it wasn't what was best for her children to stay in that environment. Um, so she ended up leaving my dad and us behind. And she told us she would come back for us. And three years later, she did. And we ended up in Brooklyn, New York. Yeah. So... What was your first year in Brooklyn, New York? Like, was the U.S. what you were expecting when you came Mm -hmm. over? Did you have any expectations? So I didn't have many expectations of what it was going to be like. I knew that my mom was sending me better clothes and better Mm -hmm. shoes. And I had better toys than the kids in my neighborhood for Christmas Mm -hmm. for those three years. Um, So I expected that it was going to be something good. But then I was very, very nervous because I was leaving my dad behind. Mm -hmm. And I was very, very, very close to my dad. Um, So when I arrived, we opened the fridge and the fridge was so packed. Mm -hmm. And back home, we don't really (laughs) pack fridges for the day. Um, And the fridge was so full, all different kinds of cereal. I already had friends. My mom had friends who had kids and they Mm -hmm. were already my friends. Um, My first year in elementary school actually turned out to be pretty great honestly, because I had the entire summer before I went into school to learn English. Mm. So I was able to learn English in the summertime, at least oral language, right. um, before I went into elementary school. So when I went in, I wasn't afraid to speak because I had already been doing it. It was a community school, so I knew most of the kids from the playground. Right. Um, so it turned out to be pretty comfortable. That's pretty amazing. It sounds like it was a pretty smooth transition. Yeah, very, very smoother than a lot of my kids now. Yeah, for sure. So um, once you were in the U.S., um, what kind of extracurricular extracurriculars were you involved in while you were going through school? And did you work part time or full time? So I worked all the way from the age that I could work um, in New York City. That means you can work at 13. So at 13, I started working at the Girls Club of New York. Uh, We would bake cookies and sell them at these fundraisers with really rich people Mm. who were donating to the Girls Club anyway. Mm. 
Um, but it was basically like a model to empower girls right. in the in the Lower East Side to um, like girls from diverse backgrounds to go into business and to go into economics. Right. OK. And so once you got to high school and you were thinking about going to college, what was helping you form like what school you're going to go to or what your mm-hmm. major could be? It, it was high school was probably the hardest time because that's when we transitioned from New York City to Boston mm. in sophomore year. And I went from being in a highly structured, highly academic environment mm-hmm. where like learning is what mattered in New York City to then coming to Boston where it was it was it was just not good. It was the yeah. typical like urban story from a movie. Are you serious? Um, that you see. It was terrible. Um but I met really great people there because mm-hmm. I excelled academically, even though I wasn't being taught. So mm-hmm. so through that, I met an organization called Bottom Line. And my junior year, Bottom Line sent me to Northeastern to do a calculus program for mm-hmm. the summer. So I was able to get college credits at Northeastern by taking calculus with right. college students. Um, so that was my first real exposure to college in America. Mm-hmm. Before that year, I knew from New York City that we were supposed to go to college where we learned. And I knew back home, all of my family members back home were educated and had gone to college. My mom mm-hmm. had gone to college. Um, but about college in America, I I didn't know how much it cost. I didn't know the process, nothing. So through bottom line, I was able to get that exposure of like, wait a minute, I can actually see myself in a college classroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was still very confusing. I still didn't know like how much or what would it be like. For me, I said, maybe I can go into the military mm-hmm. and then I don't have to worry about paying for anything. Right. Um, and that's when they stopped me and they said, you're not going to the military. Oh, really? we, have op- we have options for you. There's no way you're going to the military. Yeah. So they, they started taking me on school tours. Um, I went to Holy Cross and didn't like the hills. I said I would never <laughs> go to class. So even if they gave me a lot of money, I wasn't doing that. Yeah. Um, then I went to Smith and I was like, all right, there's only one hill. That's funny. <laughs> so let, let's, I can walk let's, here. Yeah. I was like, yeah, let's let's do that. Let's do that one school. Um, that's funny. And from there, I that's it. It was just doing the doing what I needed to do to survive every day and every step of the way. Yeah. Did you apply for scholarships, or was there someone guiding you through that process too? Literally, bottom line, did everything. If I wouldn't have had them, like my niece right now has the benefit of having me mm-hmm. and I can tell her like, nope, that financially package is not going to work. Right. You need to go back to them and tell them you need more. Mm-hmm. Nope. Don't pay extra for this or for that. You don't need it. Right. Or apply for this, apply for that. But when I, when it was me, I was first generation. Mm-hmm. I, my mom had no idea. Yeah. No, there was no one in my family who I could ask, like mm-hmm. nothing. There was, there was no one. Yeah. So yeah. bottom line, basically, they became my parents, literally yeah. filled That's... out my FAFSA, everything. Oh, my gosh. I remember filling out the FAFSA. My mom gave me her tax return and was like, good luck. Yep. Yeah, fill it out. <laughs> like... That's what I, my mom was like, why do you need all of my papers for? Really? Said, Don't worry about it. It's for school. <laughs> she said, okay. Like she, and then I showed her how much money I was getting a year. I was getting like 60,000 a year. And Mm -hmm. then I had an outside scholarship that I'm still working with now and to give back. Yeah. And she was like, what? They're giving you all that money? And I was like, yeah, because you're poor. (laughs) She's like, well, I'm happy. I know. (laughs) 
it's like it was that's... shocking for her. Wow, that's pretty. I mean, it's great that you had that support because I don't think you know every like I didn't have that support. I went abroad my junior year, and that's when they would have helped us at school with all those things. So I missed that on that and had to pretty much like learn it. But um, it's actually pretty important probably for people to like seek out those types of programs while they're still early on in high school. Like how, when, how old were you when you found that program? So that was sophomore year, the end of sophomore year. Okay. So 16. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. And it sucks because it like right now there aren't that many programs like that. Like the program that I'm in now is about to phase out because Mm -hmm. the, the person who gave the endowment died Wow. and like the endowment wasn't meant to last forever. Right. And already we're like, how can we keep it alive? Like we all survived over Mm. a thousand of us survived college because of them. Right. You know, like how do we, like, it's not fair, you know, like we need more support if we are to get more urban kids to finish college and survive through it. Wow. I hope they're able to keep it going. I mean, if maybe all the alums come together and that's what we're thinking about now, like setting up another endowment where everyone kind of chips in and invests. Mm-hmm. That'd be pretty awesome. Okay. So um, once you settled on Smith, do you have a, a major beforehand mm-hmm. or did you figure it out while you were at Smith college? So I went into Smith wanting to do government and economics. Mm. I had done these law internships in corporate law Mm. at like big firms in Boston. I had done a management intern for Stop and Shop. Yeah. And I was like, nope, I'm going to make money and I'm going to be rich. So I need to do gov and econ. I sat in government econ classes at Smith and mm-hmm. with the exception of one professor, I was like, I don't, the, these people are not speaking to me. Right. Like I felt pretty uninspired. Mm-hmm. I felt pretty unmotivated. And I still like, I remember after first semester how hard it was. And I was walking back to the quad, to the dorms. And yeah. I saw my really good friend who's still my friend now, Layla. And she stopped me in the middle and she's like, girl, how are you? And I was like, whatever, you know, it's fine. And she's like, what do you mean it's fine? I was like, I don't know. I didn't end too good last semester. And now I'm just like in a rut. And I still remember Leela telling me like, we didn't come here to fail. Right. You better figure it out. Yeah. And like that, that to me was a wake up call that I needed to, to try something else. Mm-hmm. And my advisor, who I still keep in contact now, Sam in Trader, who's awesome. Um, he said, come take one of my classes. It's in urban ed. And I was like, what is urban ed? Yeah. Who are those kids? Yeah. I sat I sat in that class. I heard girls talking about me. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. My mom did care. She just didn't know. Yeah. She didn't have access to knowledge. She didn't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Right. And like being so passionate in those classes, I started volunteering. Um, I finished a minor in um in econ i dropped gov for sure yeah Plato's not doing it for me <laughs> um but i made i started to switch and i majored into education and then i wanted to make sure i had a job so then i added spanish so that i could get my licensure and so that i could get a leg into teaching mm-hmm. um that's awesome um i think honestly picking a major is probably one of the hardest things about college and mm-hmm. i picked mine basically just my brother i just asked my brother i was like uh what are some good majors <laughs> and he's like you should really do govern econ <laughs> 
That's what everyone, every yeah. person of color will tell you that. Yeah. Gotten, and gone, I ended up doing econ, minoring in international relations. And then the economy went to hell in 2008. So when I graduated, I was like, oh, I guess econ was a great major. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's funny that you said that. Um so when you graduated, did you did you have any jobs lined up or did you have to like take time off to search for jobs? So I basically knew that I didn't have the option to go back home and not have a job. Mm-hmm. So early, very early on, December, January of senior year, I was looking. Yeah. I was applying. I I I was trying to find options. Um, mm-hmm. I applied for a bunch of like teacher residency programs. Like I applied to TFA and I didn't get in. Mm-hmm. Um, That's which whatever, Whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I, I applied to Boston teacher residency and I got in, I applied for jobs at different schools and I got the jobs. So then I had to choose like where to go and where, like whenever I interviewed, I always asked like, how do you develop people? Because mm-hmm. I knew that I didn't want to teach Spanish forever. Right. Like if anything, I wanted to, at that point, I wanted to be a principal. I wanted to be a superintendent. I was like, no, I'm going to like really change the district and make change in that way. Mm-hmm. So I said, how do you develop people? And I ended up going with a job that wasn't the highest paying, but had a really, really structured plan for mm-hmm. develop for the development of new teachers. Wow. Um, and a lot of support. And I'm Till this day, I still thank that school for everything that I learned and right. for making me the teacher that I that I am. Yeah, today. Uh, that's really smart because I know when I was graduating, I didn't even have in mind like how they're going to develop me. How did you think about that? How why was that important to you? I think it was like the the moment came when I thought about where I wanted to be long term and the fact that getting licensed in Spanish was just a way for me to get into the system um, easily because I couldn't, at Smith, I couldn't really major in anything else to get my licensure. So then I mm-hmm. figured if I'm going to go somewhere and teach Spanish, then I want to be developed so that it doesn't feel like, like I want to teach something that's higher impact to kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and foreign language, unfortunately, as important as it is, it's just not seen that way right now um, or ever, honestly. So right. I really thought about if I'm going to teach Spanish, which is something that I don't think is high impact, then I want to be developed. I want to grow in mm-hmm. other ways. Yeah. How long did you spend in your first job? So I stayed there for two years um, and I literally I went from nothing from just being a teacher that taught based on influence mm-hmm. um, to being a teacher who had systems, who knew why systems were important, who had structured, who was organized, who knew standards, mm-hmm. who knew why kids needed to learn what and at what grade levels. Um, after that, I got the awesome, awesome opportunity to be a founding ESL teacher, which is where my linguistics master's came in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to open up a brand new school with a brand new network yeah. Um, and that's the place that was the happiest place I, I had ever been. I was like, I found my dream. Oh, this that's is awesome. It. How long were you there as a founder? <laughs> One year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the It was awesome. And I it was sad for me to leave. But then they were opening the same network was opening up another school down the street. And they had acknowledged that I had a great leadership skill set, which is mm-hmm. where I wanted to go anyway. Um, So they offered me to be a founding dean of students for the school. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
so I was moving really quickly through like the ad ranks yeah and are you still there today so I'm still at the same school because I'm really attached to my families I'm really really attached to my kids that I've now known since kindergarten Mm -hmm. and they're now in fifth grade um so I'm still there but last year I made the decision to transition back to the classroom um I I think one one advice I would give to people who want to go into leadership and who want to go in specifically into ed leadership mm-hmm. is just to ask themselves if they like managing adults. Mm. If they are going into it because they want to manage adults, then ed leadership is totally for you. Right. For me, like my highest impact and my focus was always on the kids. Mm-hmm. And I, I started to be really uncomfortable and really unhappy with managing adults. And I I decided to do what was best for me. And now I am extremely happy. Mm-hmm. I get to coach the people who are doing my previous job. So I still get to be involved in like a bigger impact. Mm-hmm. I'm coaching the same person down the street at the other school. Right. So an even bigger range. So like I don't have to be in the job to use that skill set that I have. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I'm glad you found your happy place in terms of <laughs> work. Because that can definitely be a struggle for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, starting out as a new teacher, what advice would you have for um, people who are going to graduate and, you know, getting into the profession at the early stages? And like, what kind of challenges did you experience and how did you overcome them? Mm-hmm. So I think there there are a few things that I would definitely say. And this is both from like being in the role and from managing people who are in the role, in the roles within education mm-hmm. um like the the functioning of a school and the teaching field overall like lends itself to so many different relationships to so many different interactions with so many different people on any given day mm-hmm. and the way that you carry yourself regardless of where you're from and regardless of what your beliefs might be has an impact mm-hmm. so the days that you sh- do you decide to show up to work late That Mm -hmm. has an impact, not just on you, but Mm -hmm. on the people that look like you. And especially in education, which is very predominantly white females, Mm -hmm. that is very, very important. Those white females are the females who are making the the hiring decisions. So it is up to us, the people who are already in the field, the people who got in to show what we're worth. Mm -hmm. So my, my advice would be to be your utmost professional self. To be right. able to not just open doors for yourself, but open doors for other people that look like you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true. It's kind of sad that, you know, it's 2019 and we're still at that place where as a person of color, you're not represented everywhere and mm-hmm. your actions speak for everybody else. And especially in ed, you know, like our kids need us. Our kids need to see us in their schools. Mm -hmm. They need to see us running their schools. And unfortunately, like, you know, with the exception of me transitioning smoothly and by choice, like everyone else that was of color who was an administrator with me, um, you know, didn't have like the best smooth transition. Mm -hmm. So I, I, it bothers me. And I, I always told my peers of color, like, when you choose to walk in late and when you choose to lie about sick days and when you choose to to not be here for the kids, like it makes us all look bad and then they won't hire us. And ultimately, if we want to be in a position of power, if we want to change that narrative, it starts with our everyday actions. Mm-hmm. Like we have to care about the small stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the small stuff also just tend to be 
a reflection on the big things, if that makes sense. Like if you're mm-hmm. coming in late, you know, people just notice that type of thing more yeah. the, so than they notice the good work that you're doing. You know? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Which sucks in some ways, but then in another way, I guess we have to have standards. Mm-hmm. You just hope that those standards are applied equally across the board. Exactly. And you can't stand up to a, to a manager that's being biased and say, you're treating me unfairly when you're giving me these ratings. If you actually are coming to work late, you actually aren't responding to emails, you actually aren't submitting lesson plans, you're actually on your phone the entire day mm. in front of kids. Like mm. you, you can't stand up to bias. You can't get yourself in a position of power when you are exhibiting those like low level behaviors at a high frequency that are just unprofessional. Right. Yeah, that's true. Um, So being in your profession, are there any resources you would recommend to people who also want to get into education? Are there things that helped Mm -hmm. you along the way that you just feel like people should really seek out? Mm -hmm. I think reaching out to people who are doing the work, who have a similar background to you so that you can get a real experience from them. A volunteer, go into the school, spend a day or two in a classroom that you can see yourself running and see how it goes, see how you feel. Um, for example, right now, I have I had the pleasure of having a few uh, Smith interns at my school um, and they loved it. And mm-hmm. one of them is like, yeah, I don't have your energy. I can't be a teacher. I'm going <laughs> to but I'm going to do something else in education. Yeah. You know, there are other jobs. You don't have to be a classroom teacher. Um, so just volunteer, get in the classroom as early as you can while you're in college and develop that muscle of just being in the groove of a school mm-hmm. uh, before you do it full time. Yeah, that's smart. There are also there are also a lot of residency programs, um, a lot. I know Boston Teacher Residency is one, New York mm-hmm. City Teaching Fellows. I mean, at this point, almost every state has their own teaching fellowship. Mm-hmm. And the good thing about entering through those programs is that you got a chance to develop while you're also starting your career. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to develop once you're in there struggling and right. your kids are failing because you don't know how to teach. Like mm-hmm. you got to work on on learning how to teach, go to a place where you can get a lot of coaching, Um and make sure that you're being developed. If you feel like every week you're not learning something, right. then you should go back to the people that are responsible for you and say, I'm not learning. This is right. what I need to learn. Um, a lot of self-advocacy there. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a lot of self-advocacy and knowing what you want and being specific about it. And Because, you, you know, you can't really advocate for yourself unless you have a clear vision of what, what your goals are. Yeah, for sure. So... You know, being first generation, like, is there anything about that experience that you think really shaped how you moved through high school and college and now through your career? I think more so college and now. Um, High school, I was unaware. I was just doing the work Mm -hmm. and day to day. Um, But in college, again, once I heard those girls talking about me, that's when I was like, what? Like, no, I have to change this narrative. So throughout my career after that, even when I started in Holyoke and Springfield only while I was still in college, I always messaged to kids like there's information out there and you can get it if you want it. Mm-hmm. If you want it, you will look. And if you look, you will find it. Mm-hmm. So I continue even till this day saying to kids, just because you are on an IEP, just because you've been deemed to be sped, 
it does not mean that their success isn't out there for you. Mm -hmm. Your success might look different, but there are resources. Find your resources. Advocate for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, So self-advocacy is something that I instill in kids of all ages, just because I want them to grow up knowing that they can use their voice to get their needs met, whether that is small as I'm upset and I need a break Mm -hmm. or, you know, I'm in a professional environment and I'm being told, that I'm terrible and I need some space before I can process that, Mm -hmm. that management um, point, or, you know, I'm in college, I can't pay. Can Mm. you please help me find money to pay? Right. That's all self-advocacy. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely, even when you mentioned earlier about, you know, not paying for things that you didn't need, it just made me look back to Smith where I don't even think I've thought about like, hey, I don't need this and maybe I can negotiate for X, Y, and Z. Literally, it was just like, oh, here's the here's the tuition and oh, they gave me a grant or something and I pay X. So yeah, that's very real. That's mm-hmm. a very important skill to have. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay, well, thank you for sharing your story and your advice. And is there any last piece of information you think would be important for listeners mm-hmm. I think if if I want anyone to get anything out of this conversation is the power of self-advocacy mm-hmm. and motivating and inspiring others to be self-advocates too yeah um, so it's, it's not just definitely about us it's about making sure that generations after us have the access we might have had mm-hmm. yeah no that's very true and I just hope like the more people that keep on sharing the story and sharing even that skill like what does self-advocacy actually look like? Because some people, you can tell them like, oh, advocate for yourself. But if they don't have that skill, then, you know, and if no one's showing them that skill, they won't get far. But mm-hmm. yeah, I like that, though. Self-advocacy, it is definitely key, even at, like whether you're in college or through your career. It's all about, you know, advocating for yourself. Well, thank you, Paula. I had a lot of fun listening to your story. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to get some gems from it.